There are Jews in the world. There are Buddhists. There are Hindus and Mormons and then. There are those that follow Mohammed's but I've never been one of them. So big, so absolutely huge. Do you think maybe he's compensating for something? <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah. What do we learn? I don't know, sir. I don't fucking know either. Salutations and good morning. I hope everybody out there is having a wonderful day, a wonderful experience, and enjoying this Advent season. If this is your first time joining me, Welcome, and I hope that you will subscribe, you'll share, you'll support, and you enjoy this. Uh, what can I else can I say? I, I really can't think of anything. We should probably just get going here, shouldn't we? I think so. I never know what to do. Well, what else can I say other than we should get into it? Um... This reading is for the third Sunday of Advent, which happens to have been December 11th. <clears throat> so you could say I'm late as hell. Anyway, um, <laughs> let's get into it. It's from Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11, verse 2 through 11. When John heard in prison that what the Messiah was doing, he sent word by his disciples and said to them, Are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you see and he. The blind receive their sight, the, the lame walk, and the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear and the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. And blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to look at? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? Someone dressed in soft robes? Look, those who wear soft robes are in royal palaces. What then did you go out to see? A prophet, yes? Oh, I tell you more than a prophet. This is the one to whom it is written, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. And truly I tell you, among those born of women, none has risen greater than John the Baptist. Yet these, the least in the kingdom of heaven, is greater than he. And that's the end. So... I guess I gotta ask, whose party is this? There's this dude who once told about being invited to a party held to celebrate a wedding. He arrived late and didn't know a soul there except for the friend who invited him. <clears throat> Subsequently, he played the role of spectator to the evening's festivities. And uh, everyone he noted seemed to be in high spirits. They danced, they shouted, 
they were leaping around, causing all sorts of chaos as they pranced around in their paper hats, eating way too much, drinking even more, throwing streamers across the hall, having what anyone could call a great fucking time. But as the evening progressed, the dude noticed that there's this young woman sitting in the corner alone. She seemed happy and all, smiled pleasantly when he caught her eye, but she seemed neglected. No one seemed to be paying her any attention. So our man whispered to his friend, Hey, who's that young lady in the corner? And his re- friend replied, pretty startled, like, Wait, you, you, you don't know. I gotta introduce you, dude. That's the bride. Can you imagine for a moment what that must be like? To be left alone and unnoticed at your part, par- your own party, your own wedding. That's got to be how Jesus feels at Christmas. Most of the celebration of his birth, the lights, the music, the gift giving, the parties, they have nothing to do with him. It's kind of sad, not just for him, but for us. You see, we need Jesus. The people around us need Jesus. The whole world, in fact, needs Jesus. That's why Christmas took place in the first place. God loved the world so much, he sent us the most important gift ever. A PS5. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. He gave the gift of his son. Now, there's several reasons why we need Jesus, not just at Christmas, but all year round. First of all, we need Jesus because life is not easy. But unfortunately, that's the truth for many of us. And most of us have learned that the hard way. There's this uh, weird story that comes out of John F. Kennedy's presidential campaign of 1960. Kennedy was just finished giving this stunning speech in San Antonio, Texas, to a large, enthusiastic crowd assembled in front of the Alamo. The Alamo, of course, was where a handful of Texans, including like Davy Crockett and stuff, held off a large Mexican army. And when the speech was over, Kennedy wanted to get out of there quick. So he turned to Maury Maverick, who was a local politician at the time, and he said, Maury, let's get out of here. Where's the back door? And Maury looked at him and grinned and said, Senator, if there had been a back door to the Alamo, there wouldn't have been any heroes. You know, we all wish that life had a few more back doors, don't we? But... Sadly, life just gets tense at times. And John the Baptist, that glorious front-runner of Jesus, surely wished for a back door as he sat there in Herod's jail. What's really funny is that his worst days were yet to come. You gotta remember, he was beheaded by Herod. Now, was it for a crime he had committed? Not really. John was a man of flawless character. He was beheaded because a stepdaughter got a little bit frisky and danced a dance that one just shouldn't dance, danced the seven veils and did a burlesque show for her stepdaddy and stepdaddy kind of caved and said, off with his head, silver platter, woo! (sighs) I'm telling you, he really wanted that back door. Now, all true prophets yearn for a back door at some time in their lives too. We all do. The writer for our lesson today from the Epistle of James, which I know 
we didn't go into because I'm stuck here in the Gospels. We'll get to the epistles, I promise. But the epistle of James, that writer, reminds his readers of the patience of the prophets who suffered so much because of their commitment to God. And there are times when we all need that patience. It doesn't matter how righteous we are. Sometimes life is a challenge. Now, on September 3rd, 1987, there was this pilot, Henry Dempsey. He flew a 15-passenger plane from Lewiston, Maine, to Boston, Massachusetts. And at 4,000 feet, he heard a weird noise in the back of the plane where the rear stairs were. So he turned over the controls to his uh, co-pilot, and he walked back to see what was going on. As he reached the back of the plane, the aircraft hit some turbulence and Harry Dempsey was thrown against that stairway door, which was hinged at the bottom. And quite suddenly, that door fell open. It hadn't been secured. And before he could do anything, Dempsey was sucked partway out of the plane. He fell face down on the stairs and grabbed for anything that might save his life, and his hand grabbed the railing, and he held on. Now the co-pilot had thought he had fallen 4,000 feet below diverted the flight to the nearby airport, and when they landed, Dempsey was found with his face 12 inches off the runway. Still alive, but with his hands so tightly gripped around the rails that his fingers had to be pried open. Now granted, I've not fallen out of an airplane. I jumped once, never doing that again, but I have never fallen out of an airplane at 4,000 feet. And we've all had experiences, I know you have, where it took every bit of strength to hold on. Some has compared that situation to the tenacity of a bulldog. He said the reason God made a bulldog like he did was that he could hold on and still breathe. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I've never seen a bulldog hold on to anything and still breathe because that's a flat face. Regardless, the people in this world who have achieved greatness have been those who have held on with the tenacity of a bulldog and gotten really lucky to be born with something to help them achieve that greatness, what can I say? Even though this is the season of the year when society is telling us to be merry, we recognize that for some people, even those devoted saints of God, this is the most challenging time of year. For those who are alone, it's the loneliest season of all. For people of limited means, this season of conspicuous consumption is a stark reminder of their lack of material good fortune. For people who have lost a loved one, the emptiness they feel is amplified by that weird superficial joy that surrounds them at Christmas. Life ain't easy, even at Christmas time. Eh, you know what? No, I'm going to say particularly at Christmas time. We do not understand why life should be so difficult. Maybe this is the only way God has of producing souls fit to share eternity with them. Sounds kind of crappy, actually, but maybe. We grow spiritually and emotionally in the face of failures, frustrations, disappointments, and disease. Someone has said that heaven is not a proper place for raising kids. And by that, they meant that life in heaven is perfect. There aren't any problems. However, if a child grew up in a perfect environment, they'd never learn how to deal with those problems. They'd never face disappointment, never stumble, never fall. So, in the end, they'd never grow. 
This world is a training place for a better world yet to come. We face challenging times with patience and perseverance and eventually are victorious. In the process, we become molded into the image of Christ if we allow ourselves to be. That's one possible explanation for life's dark nights of the soul. We don't have all the answers, of course. For now, as Paul notes, we see through a glass darkly. But we know that we need Jesus, first of all, because life is not easy. At such times, our faith in Christ gives us the hope we need to hold on like that bulldog. And Christmas, it's all about hope. Isaiah understood that hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus. He described the world in which we live as a desert. There was very little hope that his people would ever be delivered. The Assyrian army, huge and mighty at its height, threatened it from without. And sin and corruption were everyday companions within. It was a dark and desperate time for Israel. But Isaiah wrote of a time when the desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer, and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth from the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs. So when would that day come? It would come when the Messiah would establish his reign over all the earth. The great day was coming when everything wrong would be set right. But first, a baby would need to be born. So Christmas is all about hope. Now, Michael Dent, he's a United Methodist pastor, tells about this church sign that he used to pass as he drove each week from his student parish to the seminary at Southern Methodist University. The sign always fascinated him, but he was always in a hurry to get to school or get back home, so he never turned toward the church to see if it actually existed. So what fascinated him about this sign was what the name of it was, Little Hope Baptist Church. Now Michael Dent says, forget about the name Baptist. Think about the name Little Hope. Why would any congregation want to be named Little Hope Church? Why would anyone be attracted to a church called Little Hope? After all, it sounds like a tiny, struggling, theologically challenged group of God's people. He thought maybe this sign was a joke. Maybe it was there to make you smile. Maybe it doesn't exist at all. All these thoughts filled his head as he thought about the name, the Little Hope Church. So one beautiful Sunday afternoon, Michael Dent, his wife, and mother-in-law decided to make a journey to see if they could find the church advertised on that sign. 
There it was, just as he remembered it. So they turned in the direction of the sign pointed and drove for a while and found another sign and another one. And finally, their persistence paid off. Now, what would you expect the church named Little Hope Church to look like? Maybe small, decaying, unkempt, unloved? There was a church building there, he says. There was a sign outside that said Little Hope Baptist Church. And guess what? The church named Little Hope had a paved parking lot, big brick sanctuary, a church van with a garage-like parking space and covered a drop-off. A nice brick home stood next door, probably the pastor's. Even more importantly, a historical marker told some of the church's history. And it concluded with these words, quote, This congregation continues its long tradition of helping community members in need and supports various missionary and outreach entities. Michael Dent concludes his story with these words. We learned that in our pilgrimage to Little Hope Church last Sunday afternoon that this historic congregation is actually a big Hope Church. It just happens to sit in and serve a community whose name is, for whatever region, reason, Little Hope. I like that. A big hope church in a little hope community. Jesus was born in a little hope part of the world. He was a little hope part of the world then, and you know what? It's a little hope part of the world now. When will the violence and hatred that in that part of the world ever end? Only God really knows. But In that little hope part of the world, more than 2,000 years ago, there were shepherds keeping watch over their sheep who beheld angels in the sky, directing them to a manger in Bethlehem. And there were magi way off in the east who saw a star in the sky and followed it until they found the place where a young child lay. Who could have imagined that? A little hope community became the setting of the biggest hope that the world would know. Advent and Christmas celebrate the coming of Jesus into this world. We need Jesus. Life is difficult even for the best of people. And Jesus gives us hope even when every other source has been exhausted because the Creator has inexhaustible resources. It is our loss if we treat Jesus Christ like a neglected bride at her own wedding party this Christmas. Christ is God's greatest gift to the world. And he's available to us all. All we have to do is accept him as our own. A woman once told the esteemed pastor Lloyd John Ogilvy about the conflict between her husband and son over this piece of property. The land, which was quite valuable, had been placed in the father's will for the boy. But he wanted it now. The son broke off the relationship with his father when those demands were resisted. And he hardly ever came home for a visit. But one Christmas, his mother convinced the young man to spend Christmas at home with the family. And begrudgingly, he did. But he kept aloof and distant from his dad. With grief, the mom described to Ogilvy the time of exchanging gifts on Christmas. Her son opened all of his presents except for one from his father. It was a tie-shaped box, carefully wrapped with a card saying, To my beloved son. 
bad. That box was never opened. Instead, it remained under the tree unopened all Christmas Day and the next when his son left. What that son didn't know was that Dad had neatly folded the deed of the property that the son wanted so badly and placed it in the box as his Christmas gift to his son. To this day, that box is still unopened. The son now owned a very valuable piece of property, but he didn't know because he stubbornly refused to open the gift from his father. And you know what? There are a lot of people making the same mistake. Life is hard. We will face some trials that only Jesus can help make it through. We need to see that there is a gift that came to the world 2,000 years ago. It is a gift straight from the heart of God. To everyone who opens that gift, who receives that gift and makes that gift their own, there is given an attitude and this ability to persevere that the world cannot know. Amen. guess what? That's everything I got for this week. Other than to tell you that the merch shop is open, shop.jesusduckinchrist.com. Go take a look. Tell me what you think. See what's missing. See what you like. And I'm going to get some snarkiness up in there pretty soon, too, because, hey, that's what I'm all about. So in any case, like, subscribe, share, share a like, do it all. I mean, shoot, every little bit that you do helps me, honestly. I'd like to do some more. Coming up next week, um, I actually have Christmas done on time, so I have one more to do this week before Christmas, and that'll be about what happened last Sunday. So I'll be all caught up. What a crazy idea that is. Anyway, I love you all fuckers. Take care. Take care of each other. Remember, all are welcome. <laughs>